Good morning. It's good to see you all. Um, today we're going to be continuing our series, which is our five eyes. And our five eyes are our values. They're the values that we as a church have said. These are the, these are the behaviors, the habits that we want to adopt. We identified that as a church, we want to be Christ-centered. So that means that everything that we do is centered around Christ. We follow Christ as our example. And we believe that the example that Christ gave us, the way that Christ lived, actually when we look at it, it's the best way to live. Christ lived a full life and he lived a life that included everyone in that fullness. And so we as a church have said we want to do that. And we came up with these five eyes that help us to achieve that. So you all got this circle on your way in this morning? Yes? Good. And this, um, this has our five eyes on there. So you can see there's influence through service, there's intimacy with God, there's involvement in society and inclusion of all. And then this morning, we're going to be looking at interdependence with each other. And these are all on this circle. And what we're going to do, um, not today, I don't think, but eventually we're going to fill this circle out. So as you can see, the edges of the circle are left blank. But that's the spot where we're going to figure out, okay, well, if we want to be Christ-centered, if that's what we think we need to do, if that's what we think living life well is, looks like, and these five values can help us do that, what are the actions that mean that we can develop those habits so that we can display those things? So that's what this circle is about. But today, as I said, we are going to be looking at interdependence. And interdependence is a very long word, which is why I have some helpful hands here to help me. Interdependence means, inter is between, that's what inter means, and dependence means reliance. So interdependence, interdependence means reliance between two or more people. That's what interdependence means. It's not that we, it would be nice if we work together, that we're better together, or that we enhance each other's experience, or that we um, it, it's like some casual acquaintances that we actually depend on each other. We need each other. That's what interdependence is. I'm going to stop here and say that I should have said the creche is still open. <laughs> so if you have a small person who wants to drum, um, then you can, you can go out there. Obviously, you're very welcome to drum throughout, but um, <laughs> if, if you want a quiet, a quiet space, Reuben, it's just out there. Uh, <laughs> So, interdependence with each other. As I said, I have a bit of a crack team here who have studied the text um, already. Over the last couple of weeks, they've been studying the text, and they've come up with some questions. So, we're going to look at those questions together now. So, who has the first one? Why did the ear say, I'm not an eye? What? Sorry. <laughs> Why did the ear say, I'm not an eye? Why did the ear say, I'm not an eye? That is a very good question. In fact, I think it's a very profound question. And it's a profound question because it's the kind of question that we don't usually ask. And by not asking it, we end up, we, we end up in a loss of trouble. Because this question is a little bit like, really, it's a form question. The question is, what form does this text take? What devices is Paul, this is what Simon is really saying, she's dumbing it down for us. What, what devices is Paul using here? And Paul is using an analogy. And an, an analogy is a way of explaining one thing by comparing it to another. So people might say that I, Dan, is as tall as a mountain. No one has ever said that. Uh, 
But what they really mean is I'm really, really tall. Another, this is why it is important to ask Seren's question. What for, what, how is Paul writing this? What devices is he using? If, for example, you finished school and you thought, I'm going to go away for a year, I'm going to do some, um, I went on a gap year, and you thought, I need some money to fund this gap year, you, th- you might think that standing up in front of a church and uh, asking for some opportunities to do some gardening would be a good way of getting money. But to entice people, you might say, I'm a little bit like Alan Titchmarsh. In fact, I consider myself to be the next Alan Titchmarsh. What you really mean is I'm a really great gardener or I really want to do this. If you don't ask Seren's question, you might take me on my word and think I am the next Alan Titchmarsh and I'm a good gardener. You might then employ me to, um, to look at a shaded flower bed and you might ask me, what can grow here? No idea. You might ask me, you might say, could you weed the garden and then come back to discover that I had removed all of the vegetables in your garden? That might happen. You might even ask me, Dan, we haven't got much light in the front garden. Have you got any suggestions? You might come back from work to discover that I had removed a tree. (laughs) It wasn't asked of me. You see, so it's really important to find out how, what we're writing about what the form this is used. So I was using an analogy, an example, when I said I'm like Alan Titchmarsh. I am in no way like Alan Titchmarsh. And, and here, I think Paul is using an, an analogy to say we're like the body of Christ. So when he says, sorry, this is a very long answer, isn't it? Seren's like, all right. Um, <laughs> Paul's analogy is a bit better than mine, just very quickly, because he goes back and he uses an analogy that's already used. So when Paul became a Christian, he was called Saul, and Saul was very nasty to, to Christians, and he persecuted them. Persecuted is a word that means he was really nasty. So he was really nasty to Christians. Um, but Jesus, in a miracle, turned up and he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he didn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting the people who follow me? He said, why are you persecuting me? And out of that, this, this language develops that refers to the church and the followers of Jesus as his body because we're his representation. And we are all so different, but we belong to this body, the church. And although we're different, we all play a key role. So the, the, the eye and the ear really means we all have different functions, but we all belong together. <laughs> that is... <laughs> Next one will be shorter. When someone said, why don't all of the boys start to suffer? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When someone said, why does all of the body start to suffer? Ah, when someone's sad, why does the body suffer? And this is a really good question. In fact, sometimes I think that actually perhaps it's not even true. I think that sometimes we can be sad and we don't suffer. But I think that we should get to the position where when someone's sad, we do suffer. Because really it's a question of, What kind of body are we? And if we're the kind of body where we depend on each other and we serve each other, we have deep relationships, we love each other, then when we see someone sad, we do suffer. Suffer 
is more, it's not just an emotion, it, well, it's not an emotion, it's a physical thing. And so, really, when someone's sad, we suffer because we've, we then serve them. It's not just that person's sad and so I'm sad, but we suffer because when we see someone in trouble, we want to serve them because we, we serve our community and we are friends and we love each other. But also because I think we have a really big job, which is to share the message of Jesus that God loves everyone with the community. And so when people are sad and can't be part of our team, there's even more work to do. So we're sad, I think, because we love each other, but we're working together. Why are all the body parts arguing if they've already been put together? That's a very good question, indeed. Um, why, when we all belong together, when we're part of the same body, do we argue? It's because I think we're not smart enough. <laughs> to realize that actually we can disagree, but we don't need to argue. Could I have two volunteers, maybe two of you, who wants, Matthew? Yeah, do you want to come out? Okay, so, now if you guys disagree, if you want to hold hands, and you disagree about the way forward, so, you're gonna go that way, and you're gonna go that way. What happens, you can't let go, nothing. But if you together work out, right, well, I reckon we need to go over there, and you reckon we need to go over there, together you can say, actually, perhaps there's a middle ground. Perhaps what we need to do is we need to work together, and you see that we need to go this way in this bit. I see that we need to go that way. So if you walk forward together, ah, you see? So, so now you make progress. So although we see things differently, because we're all different, we see things, we, we have different skills, we, we have different perspectives on things. When we come together and work out that, that actually your insight helps me understand more, then we can move forward together. Another example is, right, if you, Matthew, I want you to just stand still. Now, if you walk forward, uh, uh, but if you keep walking forward, if you, if you wrote, oh no, this isn't working. <laughs> My idea was this, if you walk forward, you have to walk around me. <laughs> because I'm not moving. There we, we're just standing still. We're going around in circles. What actually needs to happen is we need to realize... You can sit down now. That was a, such a great example. Um, what, what we need to do is realize that actually there's a huge diversity in this congregation. If you stop and look around, I always like doing this. If you, if you just stop and look around now and think about the breadth of skills that there are in this room, if you think about the languages that are spoken, if you think about how many jobs there are, if you think about the band that played this morning, there was the drums and the keys and the cello and the guitar and the bass and, the, and, and singing. But together, when we come together, we can do extraordinary things. But what we need to do is work out together that despite the fact we have difference of opinions, because we have different skills and different insight, actually, we serve one goal. We serve one God. And it's when we come together that we can get over those, those disagreements and arguments and actually do some good. Why does the body need every part to function properly? Hmm. Let me show you this. This, oh, it's gone. This is a diagram 
about, it's an infographic about bees. And bees make honey, we know that, but they're also very, very, very important because bees, um, it's estimated that a third of all the food we eat are po is pollinated by bees. It's crazy. There's 70 types of crop in the UK that are pollinated by bees. They make 6,000 tonnes of honey, and bees are worth 400 million pounds to our economy, which is incredible. And then a single colony of bees, um, they fly around 4,000 or 4 square kilometres. There's about 50,000 bees in a single colony, and they make on average 14 kilograms of honey every year. This is just bees. But the reason I wanted to show you this is because all of the things, our world is incredibly made, it's incredibly balanced, and we need everyone to work together. So bees, if you look at a bee colony, all the bees are very, very busy. They're all very important. They all have a role. But actually, they're all the bees are related to our food, and they're related to the trees, and they're related to, to even our economy. In other words, all of these systems, our economy and bees and our food, they're interdependent on one another. And we need everyone to play their own role because we are all completely different. We all have different skills. So if you look around, there's accountants and there's artists, there's drummers. But if we want, to if we want the whole of creation, this is our big job, I think. We want the whole of creation to be reconciled to God. If we want that to happen, then there's a really important role for all of us to play. Can I tell you, I'll tell you just one thing. Um, sometimes, oh, in fact, in that song, I wrote down the words of that last song. It said, our God is a great big God, and he holds us in his hands, which is a really, really good line. And sometimes we pray that for people who are suffering or sad. We say, God, I pray that you hold them in your hands and that they would know that. But if we are the body of Christ, and that means that we are his, we do, we're his physical representation here. If we're doing the work that Jesus did, and we pray that God would hold people in his arms and his hands, what does that mean for us? Does it mean that we should sing that and pray that? Or does it mean that actually if we sing and pray that, then it's our responsibility to hold people in our arms? And and I think, sorry, just one more thing. I think, we all, I think that's what we need to do. We all need to, if we want everyone to know that they are loved and valued by God, that's our responsibility. We need to go out and we need to hold people in, in our arms. So what does this mean for us? That is exactly, I think, uh, yes, it's a great question. Matthew just asked, what does it mean for us? Let me, let me pay, I, I consulted some of the great, one of the great philosophical schools of our age, Disney, um, I have a clip from the same video that we watched earlier, and I'll just play this, because I think, I think the little rabbit is onto something here. When I was a kid, I thought Zootropolis was this perfect place where everyone got along and anyone could be anything. Turns out, real life's a little bit more complicated than a slogan on a bumper sticker. Real life is messy. We all have limitations. We all make mistakes, which means, hey, glass half full, we all have a lot in common. And the more we try to understand one another, the more exceptional each of us will be. But we have to try. 
So no matter what type of animal you are, from the biggest elephant to our first fox, I implore you, try. Try to make the world a better place. Look inside yourself and recognize that change starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with all of us. So, in the same way that in Zootropolis, there was a place for all the animals to be exactly who they were, that's our first lesson, I think, of interdependence. Because it's not just about accommodating people and then us all becoming like, other, like, like everyone else. But actually, if we're interdependent, it means that we need you to be who you are. When I, was, um, when I started studying, I went to, um, I went to Bible college and, um, and we had this chapel service every Friday. And I thought it was a really good opportunity to reinvent myself because I go to church most weeks, sometimes twice, which means I do a lot of singing, but I hate it. Almost as much as the people next to me hate it when I sing, because I cannot, it is awful. And I went to this, um, this first chapel service and I thought, I'm gonna reinvent myself. And I'd heard that actually the problem, I'd heard that everyone can sing. Have you heard people say that? Everyone can sing, they just need to open up their vocal cords. Have you heard people say this? This is not true. Because I thought, Right, no one here really knows me, and from now on, I'm going to be Dan, the man who sings. So, the band got up, and they started playing, and I, like, I let rip, and I was singing, I was loving it. And then about halfway through the song, my friend Sam, he tugged, he tugged on my shirt, and he looked furious. He was like, Dan, it is not funny, stop it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I very quickly learned that it is not true that everyone can sing, and I reverted back to my just mouthing the words and not offending anyone. But what I learned, what I learned is that I don't need to conform to be like everyone else. I can't sing, and so I shouldn't. I shouldn't for, the, for your welfare. We have to be comfortable with who we are because there are things that I can do. Singing is not one of them. So when we're in interdependence, there is space for us all to be unique. And I want to tell you one more story about a hug, about wrapping our arms around people. Because um, I, think, I think that in the job that we have, which is to share the love of God with all people, I think, I think it's that simple. We can look at this text and pass it and, and look at the Greek and everything else. But Paul's writing to a church and he goes, guys, we've got this one job. We're in it together. Remember that we're, we're like parts of the same body. We're all different, but we're all working together. We need each other. It's not hard. This is our job. And the job is, we all have different skills, but we've got to make known this extraordinary message that people are loved and valued. And that's true of each one of us here. I want to tell you a story about um, a girl called P. And P is a girl who my sister worked with. My sister runs a home called Ella's Home which does amazing work. Uh, Ella's Home works with girls who have been trafficked and have been forced into prostitution and have lived extraordinarily hard lives. And, um, and this girl, P, has this horrible story where P 
people didn't tell her every day that she's loved. In fact, the way that they treated her, she thought that no one loved her. And then she got very ill. She got really ill. But she, she moved into um, to Ella's home. So my sister helped her and, and, and worked with her and told her every day that she is loved, not just in words, but by serving her, by feeding her, by providing a home for her, by taking her to the hospital. And this week, tragically, um, P passed away. She died in hospital. Um, and uh, my sister, Abby, sent around a text message to tell us that, that P had, had died. And, and this, this was kind of on the radar for a while. We knew she was really ill. And uh, we, we were kind of praying that um, for, for all of the logistics that, that, that now have to follow, so organizing the, the funeral and all that stuff. But we prayed that, um, that she, would, you know, she would know that she was loved. And I realized, actually, that, there's a, that we can pray for her family and friends. But the extraordinary thing that Emily did, and, and others who work for Ella's Home, um, Mike Stickland is on the board. Um, there are several people who are involved. The extraordinary thing that, that Ella's Home achieved is that for P, who had lived this, had this awful experience where every day she was reminded that she was just a bit of flesh that could be used for someone else's pleasure, that she had no value. But at the end of her life, Emily told her a different story. Emily was able to wrap her arms around her. She was the, she was the body of Christ, was she not? She represented Jesus, and she took P aside, and in ways more profound than just a hug, far more profound than just words, she hugged P, and she reminded her, or she taught her, that you are loved. You are so loved. And I think that that is, that is what it means for us. If we're the body of Christ, that's our mission. We need to tell everyone that they are so loved. And we need to take that far and wide, which is why we all need to do that. So at the end of that passage, just very briefly, it talks about people with different skills. It talks about people who are prophets and healers and do various things. Well, Jesus, in part of the same imagery, it says Jesus is the head of the church. So if he's the head of the church, he can just do like the thinking. He'll be like, oh, I'll just wave this leg wave that leg, do a bit of flexing over here, and then we're his like, minions who are doing all the hard work. But actually, if you look at the life that Jesus lived, he washed the feet of his disciples. So he, you know, he, he's the head, and yet he was very much the foot. He did the hard work. And I think, I, I believe wholeheartedly that we as a church are called to do exactly the same. We are the body of Christ, and therefore... What does it mean for us? It means that we have to love people. Just Matthew, just one last thing. Matthew asked another question, because I saw, I saw the, um, the board that you scribbled all the questions on. You asked, why is the heart so important? Which wasn't on the, the final um, questions for today. Now, the heart, two things. We, we won't go into the, the medical side, because I've got it wrong. It oxygenates our blood, and oxygen is like a fuel, part of the fuel. So it does that. But the heart is so important because it's become synonymous with compassion and love. 
And so in the body of Christ, in the church, why is the heart so important? Because at the end of all of it, our motor, our engine, the thing that keeps us going is love and compassion. And then all the rest is kind of jazz. We just figure out how the rest goes. So we're all very different. But remember, we, are, we all run off this same engine, which is love and compassion. That is what I think it means for us. <laughs> so, there we go. <laughs> Thank you, guys.